0: Right, so 76 the podcast it is Swipping America the Air Tour sports podcast it is Sunday March 4th 2021 maybe Monday March 5th 2021 by the time that you listen to this regardless we got an incredible show for you today thanks to an incredible incredible All-time classic, UCLA-Gonzaga. Is it the best game ever? I don't know. Is it the second best? I don't know. Is it third? Whatever. Who cares? It was an all-timer. We will break it down from every single angle because as long as they play March Madness, we will be talking about that game. From there, we'll, of course, talk a little bit about Houston-Baylor. We will then touch on, oh, what should be an incredible national championship game, Baylor and Gonzaga. Take a quick break, and I will come back and talk a little bit about some transfer stuff. Obviously, the season is coming to an end. Do want to hit on some transfer news that has happened as as people start to transition into the offseason. Kentucky picks up Kellen Grady. I haven't talked about that yet. Justin Powell to Tennessee. Audis Tony to Arkansas. Big day for Maryland. That will be on the back end of the show if you want to catch that. But I do want to start, obviously, with Gonzaga, UCLA. And before I do... I want to welcome back one of our favorite sponsors of the Aaron Torres podcast, our friends at Manscaped. Fellas, it's spring, flowers are blooming, the grass is growing, and it's time to chop the weeds thanks to our sponsor at Manscaped. You can trim your holes safely and efficiently. Yes, I'm talking about ball trimmers manscaped is the global leaders in men's below the waist grooming you know what i'm talking about fellas right down there and they have an exclusive offer for our audience use promo code torres to get 20 percent off free shipping plus free shipping at manscaped.com join the two million other men who trust manscaped they are here to make sure you are trimmed and smelling nice. After all, it is time for some spring cleaning. And I should mention, ladies, if your man is too embarrassed to talk about this, to do this, to call Manscaped, to, to order online, you can use promo code Torres to to get him a gift, which of course, let's be honest, is really a gift for you. But again, as I said, spring is sprung and Manscaped has the best tools to get you ready. The weather is getting nice. You're going to be outside at the pool, maybe wearing that Speedo you've been eyeing all winter long, so you got to keep things fresh down there do it with manscaped manscaped are the global leaders in men's below the waist grooming and have forever changed the grooming game with their amazing products i should also mention they are here to help you with your above the waist holes as well i'm talking about your ears and nose fellas they're getting kind of gross and speaking of which have you heard of the weed whacker the nose and he- this nose and ear tr- hair trimmer provi- provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. No more gross nose hair flying in the wind, fellas. The premium Manscaped Weed Whacker, again, for your nose and ears, uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Manscaped is making whacking your weeds something to look forward to, delivering maximum confidence while providing hygiene. Speaking of incredible hygiene, Manscaped has formulations to keep you fresh and ready for everything that comes your way All day, the crop preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. It's starting to get hot outside, fellas, and this is crucial. Keep your balls from sticking to your leg because we all know that's the worst. You'll also find the new crop reviver in addition to the crop preserver. The crop reviver is spray-on toner for your balls, which will keep you smelling fresh down there, just like spring flowers. And again, ladies, do you want your man smelling like spring flowers? Because they smell lovely. That's what you want your man to smell like. Go to manscape.com promo code Torres. speaking of smelling fresh complete your grooming game this spring with the new refined cologne signature scent by manscaped this stuff is legit and will have you smelling like royalty the cologne is light approachable and gentlemanly in all the right ways you'll be the talk of your next quarantine hang barbecue poolside get together whatever Smell good, feel good, look good this spring. Get 20% off plus free shipping with promo code Torres at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for your job. Get 20% off free shipping with the code Torres at manscaped.com. Remember, ladies, if your are if your fellas too embarrassed, I know husbands and wives, listen to the Torres podcast in the car. That's manscaped.com, promo code Torres, 20% off plus free shipping with the code TORRES at manscaped.com. It's spring cleaning, baby, and your balls will thank you. Speaking of close calls and shaves, how about Gonzaga-UCLA? How'd you like that for a transition? It was terrible, but whatever. I do want to talk about, obviously, look, we know what the story coming out of the weekend was. Gonzaga-UCLA, in my opinion, look, this wasn't just a great college basketball game. This wasn't just a great NCAA tournament game. This was one of the all-time classic great games that I have ever seen in college basketball and I would argue one of the great games that I have ever seen in any sport ever. I'm not gonna come here and say it's the definitive greatest game I've ever seen. It's the definitive best college basketball game that I've ever seen. Uh, The definitive best college basketball game ever. I know there's people that wanna debate this versus Duke, Kentucky in 92. This versus uh, Villanova, North Carolina. I'm not gonna do that. I did find it interesting, by the way, Jay Billis says that he was in touch with Bill Raftery, who was in touch with Vern Lundquist. Vern Lundquist called the 92 Duke, Kentucky game and said this was the greatest game that he's ever seen. I'm not here to do that that that's a conversation for another day all I will tell you is that this is an all-time classic and to me when I look back on this game more than the Jalen Sugg shot more than Johnny Juzang we're going to get into all that in a minute but to me that is the single great biggest takeaway this was a great game and the funny thing is is that sometimes we, you know and we all do this right we overuse the term great and historic and unbelievable and unforgettable And there are a lot of games that have a great finish or a great ending or a buzzer beater or a last-second field goal. It doesn't mean that it was a great game, though. This was a great game from start to finish, two teams playing at an insanely high level, UCLA playing the game of their lives, Mick Cronin putting together the game plan of his life, UCLA executing it perfectly, Gonzaga taking every single blow that UCLA had, and Gonzaga, of course, winning at the buzzer, and by the way, that's not just my opinion, it's kind of facts, right? Uh, Gonzaga finishes the game shooting 57% from the field, UCLA 56% from the field for UCLA this is maybe my favorite single stat of the game UCLA did not have a single player step on the floor that shot below 50% from the game everybody on UCLA shot 50% or better for the game and UCLA still lost that is how great this game was on top of that nobody had a lead by more than seven points um, you know, I, I I believe if I saw the stat correctly, it was a one or two possession game. So in other words, no more than four, five, six points for 43 out of 45 minutes, which just tells you how incredible this game was. Uh, in terms of the game itself, we're going to talk about Suggs in a minute. But to me, I do want to start with one again how incredible it was back and forth. And I thought the first key play of the game that led to the Jalen Suggs buzzer beater was the Johnny Juzang block charge at the end of the game. And it's funny, we crushed college basketball because of the block charge. I thought the call was actually right. But to me, I'll tell you this, as somebody who's watched Gonzaga all year, as somebody who's defended Gonzaga all year, as somebody who believes they are the best team that I have seen this season, I thought their season was over right there. For people who don't remember the circumstances, it was one of the final plays of regulation. The game was tied at 81-81. Johnny Juzang, who I think you can, I don't even think it's debatable, has been the best player in the NCAA tournament. He drives in, tied at 81, Rush, you know, bum rushes into Drew Timmy, and it, it could have gone either way. It was called a charge. It goes the other way. I will say this. I did, I did think it was both the right call, but I was also happy that UCLA was below the free throw limit so that it did not lead to Gonzaga foul shots. That did not decide the game, but I thought it was the right call. But to me, that was the first defining play of that game that Johnny Juzang blocked charge call because if you remember, it was 81-81, and if that's called a charge, Johnny Juzang is going to the foul line in a tie game with a chance to make it a one- or two-point game with under a second to go just like that Gonzaga's season undefeated is basically over and we have for our you know um you know for our uh, you know uh, generation we have our UNLV Duke where nobody thought Duke was going to win that game UNLV ends, ends up losing you know kind of essentially at the last second that was that moment that that could have happened but again I thought they got the block charge call right obviously it leads to overtime which in and of itself was kind of incredible in its own right and kind of speaks to how incredible this game is Drew Timmy I should mention by the way who was I think Gonzaga's best player him and Joel Ayayi my boy Joel Ayayi um Drew Timmy, by the, it should be mentioned, Johnny Juzang, that block charge call. If it is called a charge, or if it's called a block, excuse me, Drew Timmy falls out. Even if Gonzaga does get to overtime, they don't have their best player. But we do get to overtime. From there, Gonzaga gets up by six. UCLA comes all the way back. Gonzaga gets up by five again. Our old buddy, Andrew Nemhard from Florida, hits a three to put him up five. And UCLA comes all the way back. Johnny Juzang again just in an incredible performance an incredibly historic NCAA tournament for him which I believe is going to make him millions of dollars in the NBA next year yes I believe we just saw his last college game he hits the runner to tie the game Um, and first of all I would say this I think if you're watching the game from Gonzaga's perspective you're just happy that kid doesn't take a three you're hoping that he ties the game and it goes to a double overtime instead Johnny Juzang hits the two. And of course, we know what happens from there. Jalen Suggs, ball inbounded, catches the ball. Jalen Suggs shoots from half court. It's good! It's good! Did I do my Jim Nance impression well there? I don't know if I did or not. But I'll just say this, an iconic moment, an incredible moment. And shout out to Jalen Suggs for giving us just an all-time classic. This is a moment, this is a game that I am telling you, I, 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 just, I said it a minute ago, as long as we watch college basketball, as long as we talk college basketball, as long as there's an NCAA tournament, that Jalen Suggs shot will live on in infamy forever. Uh, And Gonzaga wins. And Gonzaga survives one of the most incredible games that we have ever seen. On top of everything else, a few other thoughts about the game itself. First of all, I truly believe that if that Jalen Suggs shot does not go in, I think UCLA wins now I know it's easy to say that it is worth noting again that UCLA could have won it in regulation had that block charge call gone their way instead it's a charge Gonzaga gets the ball back it goes to overtime but I believe that if UCLA if that shot rims out I believe UCLA wins the game for this reason no matter what Gonzaga did on Saturday they could not put UCLA away they were up by seven in regulation Um, You know, they were up by uh, you know six in overtime to start things off. Then they're up by five with a minute to go and UCLA comes all the way back to tie it um, and and what we thought was force a second overtime. If UCLA hits that shot, I think Gonzaga, if, if Gonzaga does not hit that shot, excuse me, I think Gonzaga goes to the bench deflated like, man, we can't put these guys away. Instead, the shot goes in, Gonzaga advances to the championship game couple thoughts on top of it. First of all, look, I know that it is easy to sit there and Monday morning quarterback late Saturday night, early Sunday night. I am so proud of most of you for not going like nuclear on Twitter and oh my God, UCLA messed up. Why did they do this? Listen, it was Johnny Juzang ties the game with about three and a half seconds left. And the one thing you don't wanna do is is get beat the other way on defense. The one thing that UCLA did an incredible job of all night long was getting back. The one thing that Gonzaga does so well, it's funny, right? I've talked about this on this podcast a million times, but, you know, everybody thinks Gonzaga is this incredible three-point shooting team because of the spacing, the ball movement, whatever. They're actually great around the rim. And the one thing, just talking to people who have played Gonzaga throughout the year, the thing that they do better than anybody is that you make a layup, that is a fast break to them. They inbound the ball, they go, they try to score on the other end before you can set your defense. And so I do not blame UCLA for giving up that uncontested, pseudo-uncontested three-point shot to Jalen Suggs. They're all trying to get back on defense. Nobody is trying to get beat back. Um, and, and, you know, it happens. It was a great shot. It was an incredible shot. It was an iconic shot. And sometimes you can't do anything wrong. If you get too close, by the way, on the flip side, who knows? Maybe people are saying, oh, look at it. They fall. You know, I mean, imagine if UCLA had followed them because they got too close to Jalen Suggs. What that was to me was a great team with a great player making a great play. I don't believe that UCLA did anything wrong. I didn't really see any brushback, so shout out to you guys for kind of having that mature, adult, responsible approach because I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything to blame UCLA for. They were incredible on Saturday night, and that was just a great player making a great shot. It wasn't that they didn't cover him on defense. like He just made an incredible play. Speaking of which, I do want to talk very quickly about UCLA. Um, I just want to give them a quick shout-out because I think that on a night like Saturday night, it is so easy to remember the Gonzaga side of the story. Number one team in the country, undefeated all year, season on the line, getting pushed to the brink, which we'll get into in a minute. Uh, You hit the buzzer beater to go to the national championship game, and we'll talk about what it means for the Baylor game momentarily. What I do not think we should dismiss was how great UCLA was in this game and how great UCLA was in this tournament. This is the fact. Gonzaga is now 31-0. Before they played UCLA, they were 30-0. And I can tell you definitively, there are 30 teams that all thought they had the game plan to slow down, stop, and beat Gonzaga. I know the guys at USC. I know some people kind of around that program. They truly believed they had the blueprint to beat Gonzaga or at the very least keep it close, keep it competitive, make Gonzaga sweat. It was a blowout. They were down by 19 at half. They lose by 19. Creighton, I know some people around that program. I am telling you, Creighton believed they had the blueprint in the Sweet 16 to keep things close. They did not. Obviously, we know what happened from there. Gonzaga blows them out in the Sweet 16. Same with Oklahoma in the, the round of 32. Same with um, you know Kansas and Iowa and Virginia and West Virginia in the regular season. Everybody thought they had the blueprint to beat Gonzaga. There's only one team that executed it, and it was UC freaking L.A., They did everything they needed to do. They defended their you-know-what's-off. They got back. They didn't give up easy layups. They completely controlled tempo. I thought uh, Jeff Borzello from ESPN, a friend of mine, brought up a great point about the middle of the game. Even when they had fast-break chances, they pulled it out. They slowed it down. So it is a credit to Mick Cronin, and it is a credit to his players for perfectly executing a perfectly well-put-together game plan. It was one of the great game plans that I have ever seen. I think it changes the narrative of Mick Cronin forever. You know, he was always just this this short, angry guy that always got knocked out of the tournament early. Well, as it turns out, and I said it on Tuesday's show following the uh, Final Eight win against Michigan, maybe that guy was a great coach. And maybe the fact that he got Cincinnati to nine straight NCAA tournaments shows you how incredible he was, especially since the program has basically completely fallen apart since he left the, the new coach is on administrative leave. It's a disaster over there. It shows you how incredible what Mick Cronin did. On the flip side, let's give a little bit of credit to Gonzaga. All year long, everybody wanted to ask, like, what happens if they're in a close game? What happens if it's down to the last possession? How will they handle it? How will they do this? How will they do that? It wasn't perfect, but that team shot 57% from the field. They did everything they could on defense, and UCLA just made insane shot after insane shot after insane shot. Gonzaga got every single punch from a great team on a night where it felt like they couldn't win, that UCLA could not lose, and they still found a way to win. To me, one, it answers that question, you know, what was going to happen in a close game? Credit to them. We'll see if it matters with Baylor, you know, uh, you know, They still got one more game to win before they're national champions. But to me, they showed the heart of a champion. They showed the mental toughness that I think everybody wondered if they had going into a close game late, how would they handle themselves? They made play after play after play after play after play. UCLA did as well. So we got to give credit to UCLA. We got to give credit to Gonzaga. I hope we are past the Gonzaga's overrated. Gonzaga, like... Yes, they have to win a national championship to quiet all the doubters, but this is an incredible program with an incredible t- a group of players, incredibly talented. They've been fun to watch. We'll get to the Baylor game momentarily. Kind of last couple thoughts on the game itself, um, and that's really this, and I got a little bit of, of you know, uh, you know brush back on Twitter for this. I got a little trouble for saying it, but listen, this game to me, and I know it has nothing to do with anything, but I, I do think it's, it's pretty important, um... It shows you the value of college basketball. And one thing I always try to do, and anyone who's a long-time listener knows, I don't criticize a kid that leaves early for the pros when I, quote-unquote, don't think he's ready. I don't criticize a kid who, um, you know, wants to go to the G League path instead of play college basketball. But the one thing that I – as long as I have a platform that I will always fight for – I believe college basketball is an incredible stage for these kids to build their brand, to build who they are, to build their future, and in many cases to make millions thanks to college. Everyone talks about, oh, these these schools rip millions away from these kids. Well, first of all, they don't, because it's not like, you know, the Gonzaga AD gets a check for $10 million after this game. It goes to fund, you know, the the swimming and diving team, men's soccer, women's soccer, whatever. But on top of that, you know, I brought up this point with Jalen Suggs. Jalen Suggs could have gone to the G League and made 500000 this year, and he'd be living a pretty comfortable life, and he'd be completely off the radar. And people say, oh, they were on TV. Gonzaga was on TV more in the last three weeks than the G League was on at any time, all year, and beyond that, it's not just about the X's and O's, the basketball, and again, to be clear, I understand some families need the money. I will never criticize any kid for going to get the money, but if you can wait, Take the Jalen Suggs approach. If you can push aside that $500,000 and it's good money, I'm not saying it isn't, especially for an 18-year-old. Jalen Suggs has made so much more money on the back end by playing college basketball. First of all, you can go ahead and look it up. He was a really highly rated player coming out of high school, but he was like a fringe top 10 pick coming into this year. I found a, a, a mock draft from Bleacher Report at the beginning of the season. He was the number seven pick in the draft. He's going to be no worse than third. And I think legitimately there's now an argument that he should be the number one overall pick. So we're talking about a difference of, you know, 15 to 20 million right there. And then I'm telling you, on top of that, how many endorsements is this kid going to get coming out of college uh, because of that shot, because of that moment, and because of the 30-game sample size that he had at Gonzaga? Again... Not saying if you don't want to go to college, you should have to go to college. There are other routes for a reason, but that guy made a lot of money, and I will tell you this. I think Saturday night was a good thing for college basketball and a good night, because I think there's a lot of kids that were sitting around thinking about the G League, and they you know, they kind of realized, wait a second now, I haven't even seen or heard from those G League guys in forever. I mean, they had that one, two weeks where they kind of played on ESPNU at 11 in the morning. Well, Gonzaga just played in front of, we'll see the total numbers, but my guess is 10, 12, 15 million people, and Jalen Suggs hit a shot that will live on for in infamy forever. And if I, I'll tell you this, there are a couple really good players that are considering the G League. If I was John Calipari today, just as an example, Jaden Hardy is one of the top players that's considering the G League. If I was John Calipari today, I'd get on the phone with Jaden Hardy and say, hey, come be my Jalen Suggs. Come have your March moment. Uh, let's ball, let's dominate, let's make you even more money than you're going to make next year in the G League. We'll see, but I think this was a good thing for college basketball, and I think it's kind of the same for Johnny Juzang. I mean, Johnny Juzang, I'm sorry. I believe that we saw his last college basketball game on Saturday night. He won't make it official, but I can't imagine that his draft stock will be any higher than it is right now. Um, And this is a kid, I get it. He didn't really have the options that uh, Jalen Suggs did coming out of high school, but again, It's about the stage of college basketball. Who was talking about Johnny Juzang as a potential NBA draft pick? I think he may go in the first round based on what he did. 29 against Gonzaga, 28 against Michigan, 27 against BYU, uh, 13 against Alabama. I mean, this kid used college basketball to his advantage, and I give him so much credit. On the flip side, I'll ask you this. How are those kids in the G League doing? There was a kid named Dacian Nix that was supposed to go to UCLA. I see him falling like a rock down draft board. Sam Vecini, the athletic, his most recent big board in college basketball had Dacian Nix as the number 56 overall player. Comes to college, maybe it's a different deal. I don't know, not blaming anybody for choosing not to go to college. All I am doing is giving credit to the players that are using college basketball to their advantage. And finally, what I would just say is guys, whatever happens on Monday night, I hope you enjoyed that one. It was an all-timer. Again, I'm too young to have watched Leitner versus Kentucky live. I certainly wasn't even born Villanova-Georgetown. I don't really remember the UNLV-Duke games. I was courtside at the Villanova-North Carolina National Championship game. I'm not here to debate. If you think one game was better than this or five, I I don't really care. What I'm saying is that was an all-time classic. That was a moment that we as college basketball fans get to cherish forever. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and I hope we get something resembling that on Monday night when Baylor plays Gonzaga. All right, let's talk about the other game on Saturday. Obviously, look, Gonzaga-UCLA was an all-timer. We're going to be talking about it forever. Baylor-Houston. Not so much. We will not be telling our grandkids. I will not be bopping little Johnny on my knee in 2057 saying, hey, Johnny, let me tell you about the 2021 Final Four uh, where Baylor blew out Houston and and Miley Cyrus came on stage a half an hour later and was kind of quirky and definitely different. Uh, But the final score was 78 to 59 and frankly, if you watch the game, it wasn't even as close as that final score would indicate. Uh, Baylor was up 25 at the half. They kind of let their foot off the gas, but Baylor is awesome. To Houston's credit, they are awesome. This isn't a discredit to Houston. I liked them all year. I had them in the Final Four in my bracket, Uh, thought that they were an incredible and awesome and fun team all season, but what I would also say is, while I don't get all my picks right, I certainly didn't get UCLA Gonzaga right, this game kind of went the way that I told you it was going to on Thursday's show. Houston is a team, we all know, maybe the most physical team in all of college basketball. And it's not to say that they're not skilled, but if you can match Houston's physicality, you're going to be in the game with them. The teams that get beat by Houston are the ones that just get blitzed by their physicality, have no answer for it, and are down 18-4 to before they even know what happens. Um, But if you look at the rest of the NCAA tournament think about round two against Rutgers. Rutgers is one of the most physical teams in college basketball, nearly beat Houston. Frankly, I think if you ask Steve Peichel, the head coach at Rutgers, they feel like they probably should have beat Houston. Uh, The the Elite Eight game against Oregon State, we talked about it on Monday's show, Tuesday's show, whatever it was. Um, You know, Oregon State falls down by a million points early, and then about halfway through the first half, they realize, hey, we got to match their intensity, we got to match their toughness. Sure enough, Oregon State does, and they're in the game late. And so what I said was, Baylor is a team that will match Houston's toughness and physicality. Baylor is a team that, while they are not big physically, they are not overwhelming physically, man, are they tough. I mean, I don't know if there's a tougher player in this NCAA tournament than Davion Mitchell. Uh, Jared Butler's tough. Macy Oteague is tough. Adam Flagler's tough. And then they do kind of have that size and physicality down low with Mark Vidal, Flo Thamba, and Jonathan Chama-Chachua. I hope I said that name right. If I didn't, Mr. Chach- Mr. and Mrs. Chachua, if you're listening, I apologize. But the point I'm trying to make is that Baylor... While they don't look big, they don't look physically intimidating when they step on the court, they are a team that's not going to back down. They actually rebound the ball at a very high clip. Believe it or not, even though they're not huge, one of the better offensive rebounding teams in college basketball. And so I just thought, look, if you can match, if they come out ready to play. Ready for Houston's toughness. They will be okay. They do. Final score, 78-59. And, yeah, I don't think there's really much else to say. I I would say from Houston's perspective, shout-out to Kelvin Sampson. His program has arrived. You know, I'm starting to put together that top 25 for early 2021-2022 Houston's going to be there, and I don't care that they're probably almost certainly going to lose Quentin Grimes. I don't care that they're probably going to lose Dejan Giroux, a fifth-year senior who will obviously have an extra year of eligibility. Houston is now at the point, kind of like Gonzaga, kind of like Florida State with Leonard Hamilton – I'm just putting in the top 25. I don't care who, the, who who their personnel is. I don't care who's coming. I don't care who's going. Kelvin Sampson always has this team in position. As I've mentioned a few times, uh, they were a buzzer beater away from making the Sweet 16 in 2018. In 2019, they were a Tyler Hero, essentially a buzzer beater away from going to the Elite Eight. They go to the Final Four this year. This is a team that has essentially been a second weekend team basically the last four years in college basketball they were in position to do it again last season so no I'm not gonna you know freak out and make a big deal about the fact that they lost this game I think they have quickly established themselves into one of the elite programs don't know how much long Kelvin Sampson will be there his son is the coach in waiting but as long as he is there I just believe this is a team that's going to be in the top 15 top 25 all season and have a chance to make a run in the NCAA tournament. As far as Baylor's concerned, we'll get to Baylor-Gonzaga in a minute. The only other thought I really had while I was watching this game, and it's kind of funny, right, because sometimes you watch these games and you have a chance when it's a blowout to kind of think about the bigger picture and kind of look at a team, a coach, a season, personnel, whatever. And as I was watching Baylor on Saturday, it was kind of interesting. It kind of struck me that I believe that Baylor is what the future of college basketball looks like. And what do I mean by that? You know, we got a lot of fans of Kentucky that listen to this show, of of maybe even Tennessee who did have veterans, but they also had freshmen, of Duke, of Kansas, of whoever. Whoever your team is, if you're one of those blue blood teams that it didn't go well this year, Michigan State, you're sitting there thinking, what went wrong and how do we fix it to get back to where we're used to being? I'm a Kentucky fan. I'm a North Carolina fan. I expect to be competing for national championships. And I think the successful teams in the future are going to look like Baylor. When I look at Baylor's roster, This is what I see. I see zero top 50 recruits coming out of high school. That's an incredible fact to me. Zero top 50 recruits on Baylor's roster. Jared Butler was probably the highest-ranked recruit. He was not a top 50 kid. He actually originally committed to Alabama under Avery Johnson. I was thinking about that on Saturday. Imagine what Alabama would have looked like this year if they had Jared Butler on the the roster. Um, But on top of that, here is what the rest of their personnel look like. Zero top 50 recruits, but of the eight players that stepped on the floor on Saturday that played 15 or more minutes, so basically they're eight rotation players. All eight were juniors or more, had been in college basketball for at least three years. Many of them, like Macy Oteague, has been there for five years. Uh, Jonathan Chamachachua, three years. Uh, uh, Davion Mitchell, who's going to be a first-round NBA draft pick, four years. Jared Butler, three years. But the entire roster, third, fourth, fifth-year guys. I just think the days of loading up with great freshmen, now maybe there will be an exception, maybe Duke next year with Paolo Banchero will be the exception, but the days of just loading up with great freshmen and winning big, I don't think that is going to happen. On top of that, it's how Baylor specifically constructed this roster. Of those eight players that I mentioned, four of the guys took a redshirt. I think that's important. Now, I don't even know if redshirts are going to exist in a year or two because of all these changing transfer rules and you don't have to sit out. But I said it on Twitter on Saturday, and it's true. The redshirt has helped elevate Baylor into an elite basketball program. Scott Drew talked about it on this podcast a year ago before the NCAA tournament was canceled. Uh, Davion Mitchell and Macy Oteague both transferred, sat out a year, and spent that entire year being great scout team players, great practice players in the gym, in the weight room, training when the team was getting ready to play games, training when the team was on the road, and that helped them last year, and it certainly has helped them this year. And by the way... There has been no uh, ill effects of it, as Davion Mitchell's about to be a first-round pick. Macy is about to make a ton of money playing overseas. He came back this year after graduating last year. And so this is the future of college basketball. Older players, experienced players, maybe a couple guys that take a redshirt. On top of that, I would add, I find it very interesting, um, Baylor has two different guys, Macy Oteague and Adam Flagler, who came from the low, low, low major level and transferred up. You know, as Kentucky and teams like that start to hit the transfer portal, trying to figure out who can play at this level, it's going to take some time. And you can't just rush a guy off if he has a bad first five, four, five, six, seven games. And I'm not saying Kentucky fans do that. I'm just saying, you know, Macy Oteague started at the lowest level of college basketball at UNC Asheville. Adam Flagler started at Presbyterian. Those are small schools. It took him a while. Adam Flagler was a role player this year. He's going to step into a big role next year. But I only bring it up to say you have guys transferring from low major develop within the program. But I do think that is the future of college basketball, developing your players within the program. And I think Scott Drew's done as good of a job of it as anybody in college basketball. By the way, Mark Few, not far behind. We can focus on Jalen Suggs. But, you know, Corey Kispert was a French top 100 recruit. Um, you know, Joel Ayayi was not even really a recruit in terms of the, the recruiting services. He came from overseas. He, too, redshirted his first year. And so I think both of these programs are a great example that this game is changing, man. I think it's really interesting. And I would note the one and done freshmen still has a place in college basketball as long as the NBA keeps its draft rules the way that they currently are. Um, you know, maybe they'll change one day and maybe we'll have 30 or 20 or 10 high school kids go pro every year. I don't know. But what I am telling you is there will still be a place for the one and done kid, but it's got to be the right fit. You know, Jalen Suggs at Gonzaga is the right fit. It's about the team. It's about the culture. It's about his teammates. It's not about him. Evan Mobley at, at USC this year was a perfect fit for USC. On the flip side, Jalen Johnson, no disrespect. He quit the team. Not the perfect fit at Duke. Terrence Clark. We know what may or may not have happened at Kentucky. I'm not accusing him of anything, but there were rumors. How injured was he really? Was he the perfect fit for Kentucky? BJ Boston, not criticizing him, played when he could have opted out. But was he the perfect fit at Kentucky? I don't know. But the point that I'm trying to make is I think that Baylor is the future of college basketball as they are a team that's just older, experienced, veteran, tough, all the things that you want from a college basketball team. Finally, uh, let's talk a little national championship game. Um, and you know, it's it's kind of crazy, right? Because obviously I know I just spent a ton of time talking Gonzaga, UCLA, and all that stuff, but you know, I don't know that I have really like a ton of thoughts. Like I'm not gonna do like fifteen keys to the game. I got like three. And I think those three are pretty much gonna define how this game goes. But before we even get into it, just let me very quickly say a few things. One I am so happy that we got Gonzaga-Baylor, okay? First of all, bottom line, end of story, I am so happy that we got Gonzaga-Baylor because these two teams were ranked number one and number two in the preseason. We basically decided as a college basketball community in November that they were by far the two best teams. It was either Gonzaga-Baylor, Baylor-Gonzaga, whatever. And we tried to argue for Michigan. We tried to argue for Illinois. We tried to argue for this team. No, it was always Gonzaga and Baylor, even when uh, Baylor went in that COVID pause and they came out and they looked a little flat for a few games, and they lost a couple times, and oh, they're not the same. And it's like, well, look at the last week of the season. Baylor won at West Virginia, which was a tournament team, beat Oklahoma State at home, beat Texas Tech at home. That sounds like a pretty good team to me, and people were saying that they they, they were flat. They weren't. Um, So I'm just happy that we got these two teams here. It is the first time for people who have not heard this stat since 2005. That was the year Illinois played North Carolina in the national championship game that the two best teams in college basketball are playing for the title. As best I remember that season, I was in college at the time, so that whole era is a little bit foggy and hazy, if if you know what I'm talking about. I believe most of that year it felt like in Illinois, North Carolina, these are definitively the two best teams. Let's hope we get them in the championship game kind of vibe. So I'm happy that happened. And I'll also say this. this It's going to sound weird and counter to whatever. I'm glad that Baylor and Gonzaga didn't play in December. And it's really funny, right? Because, first of all, to be clear, you know, the game got canceled because of COVID at Gonzaga. And so, no, I don't wish anybody got sick. I hope everybody made a full recovery, all that stuff. So it's not like, oh, I don't care about anybody's health. I care about people's health. But I do think if we got Gonzaga, Baylor in December, I do start to wonder if there's just a little bit of luster off this game. If we get Gonzaga-Baylor in December, it means that one of two things happen. Either Baylor beat Gonzaga, and Gonzaga's not undefeated, and the single best storyline in this tournament just doesn't exist. But then two, on the flip side, if Gonzaga wins, you're kind of like, well, dude, look at who they've beaten at this point. They beat Baylor, they beat Iowa, they beat Kansas, they beat Virginia, they beat West Virginia. They now beat USC, UCLA, whoever in the NCAA tournament. There's no way they're losing to Baylor. But now it's kind of the mystery and intrigue of how good is Baylor? How good is Baylor relative to Gonzaga? Has Gonzaga played anybody like Baylor? Because I'm going to tell you definitively, they have not, and it should be a great game. I am so excited for it. I really only have about three keys to the game that have really kind of hit me in terms of things that I'm going to be keeping an eye out for as we get ready for this one. The first key to the game um, is how do the first five to 10 minutes look for Gonzaga? Because when I look at Gonzaga, just think about the fact that two things, really. First of all, Baylor is going to in their locker room be able to say look nobody's talking about you guys you know you just beat a great team by 25 and nobody's talking about you it's all about Gonzaga they don't respect you they don't like you they don't care about you you're Baylor you're nobody you know Dabo you know Dabo Sweeney uses the little old Clemson line Scott Drew who I actually think has a lot of Dabo in his personality he's going to use little old Baylor nobody cares about little old Baylor Except for us, except for these guys in this locker room. By the way, that was a terrible Scott Drew impression, but Scott Drew is a great guy. I loved having him on this podcast, and I love when I get a chance to speak with him. But I bring all of it up to say that I think that the first 10 minutes are going to be really interesting, because I think, one, Baylor has the inherent advantage of saying, nobody believes you can actually win this game. They think it's all about Gonzaga. Everyone spent the last two days talking about Gonzaga. Show them who the real best team is. But then on the flip side for Gonzaga, how... How much energy are they going to have, especially early in this game? Because you look at Gonzaga. They just played an emotionally draining back and forth physical game. Can't, you know, UCLA can't. I mean, every ounce of energy that that team had to, uh, you know, exert to win that game. How, How can you possibly come out with that much energy coming into this one? Now, I also think Mark Few, for the record, We saw what Scott Drew's, uh, you know, pregame press conference is going to be or pregame pregame speech is going to be. Nobody's talking about little old Baylor. But on the flip side, I think Mark Few has a very easy speech as well, which is the Herb Brooks, uh, you know, miracle on ice speech, which is uh, for people who don't remember miracle on ice, you know, do you believe in miracles? Yes. Well, that was people forget the semifinal leading into the final. And Herb Brooks basically said, you guys just pulled off one of the greatest upsets of all time. If you lose this game, nobody will ever remember that. And Mark Few, it obviously wasn't an upset, but Mark Few's going to say, you guys just played one of the greatest games of all time. Nobody's going to remember it if you lose to Baylor this in this game. And so Mark Few has his, his speech, Scott Drew has his speech, and I'm just curious about how um, you know, how Gonzaga handles those first five to ten minutes. I would say I'm also curious about Gonzaga's depth for the same reason I just mentioned. I think it's so easy to focus on how great that game was for Gonzaga and UCLA, and it was great. It was an all-timer. It was, frankly, one of the best games that I've ever seen. But if you look at the box score, Gonzaga only played seven players, and here's the catch. They basically all played the whole game. Drew Timmy played 38 minutes. Remember, it was a 45-minute game. Drew Timmy played 38 minutes. Corey Kispert played 44. Jalen Suggs played 40. Andrew Nemhard played 42. Joel played 42. And they only had two guys come off the bench play a total of 19 minutes. Anton Watson played 10. Aaron Cook played nine. And so when I look at this game, how fresh is Gonzaga late? How, how focused are they early and how fresh are they late? Because they played a bruising, physical, tough, mentally taxing game late into the night on Saturday. It ends about 11.15, 11, 11.20, 11, 11.30 11, Eastern time, whatever it is. They got to get to bed. The adrenaline's pumping. They probably don't go to bed till two, three, four o'clock. They got one day off, and then they got to play less than 48 hours later. But then the final thing, and this is where I think the game is going to be decided. How is Baylor going to play like tempo wise? Because you can criticize Gonzaga for whatever, you can praise, you know, Baylor, look at matchups, how does this spot match up with that? How does this spot match up with that? But the bottom line remains one very simple thing. Is that the reason that UCLA had the success against Gonzaga, that UCLA did was for a very simple reason. Well, two simple reasons. They slowed down the tempo to a screeching halt, and I talked about it a minute ago. I won't get into it, but basically they played the game at as slow of a tempo as they possibly could, and they hit an absurd amount of their shots, and the degree of difficulty on their shots was just all time. Baylor, I believe, has the degree of difficulty stuffed down to a science, but are they going to be willing to play a game in the half court? Are they going to be willing to, when Gonzaga wants to run, they slow down the game. Because I my fear is as good defensively as, as Baylor is, and they're fantastic, um, I, I just look at the situation and say, like, man, if if Baylor really is comfortable playing a little bit of a faster tempo, that plays right into Gonzaga's hands. And it's no different than Creighton, who kind of plays, you know, not a super fast tempo, but they like to shoot a lot of threes and get up and down. And it's like, whoever. And that is something that's genuinely concerned for me. We just saw the blueprint to beat Gonzaga. you got to make a lot of shots, but you got to slow this thing down and defend your butt off, and Baylor's going to defend their butt off and they're going to make shots, but I'm just not sure they're going to slow it down. And so because of it, you know, I picked Gonzaga before the tournament, and I'm still going to pick him here because two reasons. One, I just don't think you get to a national championship game at this level undefeated, and you don't finish the job. But I do worry a little bit about Baylor. I mean, Baylor, listen, they've been incredible, but let's never forget. They were down double digits to Villanova. Um, You know, Arkansas, it was kind of an ebb and flow game. They got up early and then came back. uh, And Arkansas came back and they put them away late. They did dominate Houston. But I just think they're going to be willing to play a game in a little bit of a faster tempo than UCLA. I think that plays into Gonzaga's hands, and I just don't think Gonzaga's going to lose this game. So my, my pick is Gonzaga. Final score, 80... I said on Fox Sports Radio, I said 80-76. to 76. I'll say 84-80. Gonzaga is your national champion, but that's my official pick. I just think that, you know, we're in a situation where Gonzaga is not going to slow down the tempo. Gonzaga or Baylor is not going to slow down the tempo. It plays into Gonzaga's hands. I think Baylor, you know, if I was betting the game, I would probably bet Baylor first half. I'd probably bet the over. I don't know that I'd bet the game total, but Gonzaga, in my opinion, will be your 2021 national champion. Oof. All right. So I think that's it for this segment of the Aaron Torres Podcast. I am trained. Now, I did promise you a little transfer talk, so I will come back for a final five, 10 minutes. I'm going to take a quick break. We'll throw in a pause. If, you, if you're if you into the transfer stuff, if your team's out of the tournament, we're going to spend about 10 minutes talking transfers. Uh, Kentucky, Kellen Grady, Justin Powell, Tennessee, Audis, Tony, Arkansas, Maryland with a big week, but we'll just wrap on that. Some other news and notes, Bill Self getting a lifetime contract. Maybe I'll talk about that really quick, uh, but I will be back. I am drained, uh, but I will be back momentarily to wrap up the show. All right, everybody, Uh, I am back. Uh, uh, You know, listen, on a day like today, obviously, look, it goes without saying that I'm going to spend uh, the majority of the show talking about, oh, I don't know, one of the greatest games in the history of college basketball. Uh, and, of course, I'm also going to focus on a national championship game that will be crowned on Monday night. But it also goes without saying that I want to hit on some other stuff because it is the offseason, and, and as I've said many times, you know, I do believe that the transfer stuff is really – it is a topic now. We have 1,200 kids in the transfer portal as I record here. We have some elite players. We have players using an extra year of eligibility given by the NCA, And so I want to talk about it. There are four teams that I believe are head and shoulders – Uh, winning, you know, to quote Charlie Sheehan, winning, winning transfer season so far. We're going to get to those four teams in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back uh, another great sponsor that has been with us all March long, all March Madness into April, and that is PicksWise. PicksWise is the number one home of free sports betting picks. You can find the who, how, and why behind every pick for every sport, every game, every day, all for free, all at PicksWise.com. Throughout March and now into April, PicksWise is running a college basketball handicapping contest featuring some of the best experts in the game. Get free daily betting picks and analysis from the likes of John Ralstein, Rashad Phillips, and more. Head over to PicksWise.com now to see which expert is hot as they battle it out for a winner-takes-all $10,000 cash prize. Make your next bet better with PicksWise and PicksWise.com. Of course, make to sh- make sure to check them out leading into Monday night's national championship game, Baylor-Gonzaga, follow them for the NBA playoff, for for all everything your gambling needs, PicksWise.com is your answer, but with that, let's wrap, let's get out of here, I've talked long enough, but I do very quickly, again, I want to touch a little bit on the transfer news, because I have neglected the transfer news really over the last two, three, four weeks, or last two, three, four episodes, I should say, And this is, again, something that we are going to be talking about a lot over the next couple weeks. And what is happening now is we are going from just kids entering the transfer portal to players that are now actually committing to schools. And you're starting to see, okay, how will this player fit in? How will that player fit in? Is this kid coming? Because it means this kid is going to enter the NBA draft. And so as transfer season picks up, it is still early, but players are committing. And so because of it, I have seen four programs that I believe are winning the transfer. transfer cycle so far and it's early it's going to change but are winning the transfer cycle so far the first one is the University of Kentucky and before we get to their commitment of Kellen Grady uh, let me also say this you know in a world where Duke has lost two or three players to the transfer portal uh, Kansas has lost two or three players to the transfer portal uh, North Carolina lost Walker Kessler I think it's just important that Kentucky has returned the players that they need to return We know Devin Askew's coming back. We know uh, Oscar Sheboy isn't going anywhere. We know Jacob Topp and Lance Ware aren't going anywhere. It sounds like Keon Brooks, if he does not go pro, will not be transferring. So one, they're a winner simply because they're getting back the players that they need. We will get into them in a minute. But they're a winner, number two, because they got the kid Kellen Grady from Davidson. And it's funny, right? I think when you look at what Kentucky was bad at last year and you look at what Kellen Grady does well, I think there is no doubt in my mind that of every player that has entered the transfer portal so far... I believe Kellen Grady should have been the number one target on Kentucky's big board. I believe that he was, and credit to John Calipari and his staff for going to get him. I should mention, by the way, uh, I have done a full kind of recap on the Aaron Torres Podcast YouTube channel. I did it the day he committed, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever it was. Go back and listen to that. But in the meantime, let me give you a brief rundown of kind of why I think this is such an important commitment for Kentucky. First of all, again... This is exactly what Kentucky needed. We all watched Kentucky, some of us with our eyes covered like it was a horror movie this year. But listen, we know that it was a team that was big on size, athleticism, uh, length, not very much skill though. Uh, And the one thing you can say about Kellen Grady, he might be one of the most skilled players in the transfer portal, four-time All-A-10 performer. He is a guy that over the course of a four-year career at Davidson averaged at least 17 points per game in three or four seasons and shot at least 37% from the field in three or four seasons. And so when you look at what he does well with what Kentucky needs, there is no doubt this was the guy they had to go get. They have answers in other spots. They have guys that maybe will be there next year, but they need more three-point shooting. And so that is why his commitment is so important because he does the one thing that Kentucky so desperately needed. In addition to that, two things stand out about this commitment. The first thing is I think John Calipari finally understands that the game is changing and Calipari has talked about it and Calipari has said all the right things. Many times he said the wrong things. Um, But, you know, this era of just recruiting length and athleticism and strictly on long term NBA potential, you can still have those guys. But there has to be a balance between the skilled guys that might not fully put it together at the college level, but will go on to the NBA and the guys that are actually skilled and understand the sport of basketball and how to play it and how to play it at a high level. And so credit to John Calipari for going out and again, getting one of the most skilled guys for deprioritizing, if that's even a word, length, athleticism, things like that and saying, you know what? I saw Alabama this year. I saw Arkansas this year. I see Gonzaga. I see Baylor. And we need a little more skill and, and you know, basketball savvy and a little bit less athleticism. So it's a credit to John Calipari. And then what I would also say, the reason that I think, in my opinion, it is also such a big deal, is because I actually like how Kellen Grady fits with the pieces around him with who is coming back at Kentucky. And I kind of just mentioned the names a minute ago, um, but it's worth repeating. Like, I think Devin Askew can be a good college point guard. I understand he wasn't that this year. I understand Kentucky fans were frustrated. I understand some of them want him to transfer. But here's the bottom line. Not everybody figures it out in year one, moment one, minute one. Not everybody is Jalen Suggs. There are a lot of Davion Mitchells, though. Davion Mitchell's in his fourth year of college basketball and is just figuring it out. And it isn't the worst thing in the world if Devin Askew goes from a 9.3 assist score with too many turnovers as a freshman to 12.5 and 4.5 as a sophomore. And then maybe by his junior year, he's an all-SEC caliber player. That doesn't make it a bad thing. He's coming back. Lance Ware is coming back. Oscar Shibwe down low. And now you add Kellen Grady with Dante Allen. You have three-point shooting. You think you might get Davion Mintz back. That's even more three-point shooting. And you start to see a team that now kind of fits what college basketball looks like. You have Kellen Grady, you have Dante Allen. Those are two elite three-point shooters. What it does is it spaces open the floor. Oscar Sheepway down low can operate. Damian Collins down low can block shots. Uh, Devin Askew is a good three-point shooter in his own right, and we'll see what happens with Davion Mintz. Beyond that, uh, I, I just again, I just like how he fits. What I would say is beyond that, I do still think Kentucky has a little bit more work to do. They do need a skilled playmaker off the dribble, which brings me to the second winner into transfer portal and that is Justin Powell because I think a lot of people thought Justin Powell would go to Kentucky Uh, he is from Kentucky but instead he goes to Tennessee and so to me the second big winner of the transfer portal so far is Tennessee because Tennessee got the kid that I believe was the number two three four rated player in the transfer portal averaged 11.5 points six rebounds five assists 40 plus percent three-point shooting in one year at Auburn and I think Tennessee just got a really, really skilled guy here. And they got a guy, by the way, that they needed. Tennessee had some of the same problems that Kentucky did. Their big guys, Fulkerson and Pons, weren't very skilled. The freshmen didn't really fit. There wasn't great three-point shooting. Justin Powell solves a lot of that issue and a lot of those issues Excuse me, at Tennessee. Now what I would say is it is not abundantly clear yet if he will definitively be eligible to start. Everybody who followed this recruitment knows that it is not positive that he will be eligible because as things stand, the SEC has a rule that says if you transfer in conference, uh, you have to sit out for here now, my understanding is that that rule will be revoked sometime, maybe as early as this month in April. But in the meantime, it is going to be a wait and see approach for Justin Powell in terms of if he is eligible. And on top of that, um, you know we still haven't officially had the one-time transfer rule change that allows guys to be eligible immediately next season. I think it's going to happen. I don't see how it can't happen at this point. Everybody is recruiting, expecting it to happen. But I only bring it up because of the fact that, in my opinion, obviously some rules have to change to ensure that Justin Powell gets on the floor. But if he does... I mean, you talk about playmaking and skill at the guard position. They got one of the top point guards in high school basketball, Kennedy Chandler. They got Justin Powell. They got the guys that are coming back. Yes, they lost uh, Jaden Springer. I'm almost certain that Keon Johnson is going to go pro. Eve Pons is probably done. But you add in those guys that I mentioned, Powell and Chandler, with, say, a Josiah Jordan James, with a Santiago Viscovi. And again, you have more of a modern team. Spaces the floor, three-point shooting, things like that. Get buckets down low. V.J. Bailey should be back as well. Uh, And I really like the Justin Powell fit at Tennessee. Now, really quickly, I do want to address the Kentucky stuff because early on it did appear as though Justin Powell was a Kentucky lean and it did not happen. Why? No one can say definitively for sure. What I will tell you, and I heard this from somebody that I trust, I will tell you that Kentucky was never as high. They were high on Justin Powell, but they never got as far down the road as some may think. And by the way, I'm not criticizing reports. My buddy Matt Jones said at one point Kentucky was the favorite. I believe that in Justin Powell's mind, Kentucky was the favorite. Matt is great on the Kentucky beat. I am not criticizing or questioning him at all. Um, You know, but from, from the Kentucky perspective, I will tell you what I heard from somebody that I trust is that John Calipari was not keen on bringing this into the pro- bringing this kid into the program because he is a Kentucky kid and because he saw what happened with Dante Allen this year And when he didn't play Dante Allen, he got criticized. And when he played him, but it wasn't enough. And when Dante Allen. And I think he just really wasn't keen on the idea of bringing in another Kentucky kid who would need an adjustment period, who might not. You know, what happens when Justin Powell has two bad games? What if you bench him? What if there's a better alternative at the point guard spot? And so I believe that John Calipari may have not been as excited to bring him in as maybe some people initially thought, including Justin Powell's camp themselves um you know but two things one kentucky's gonna find a guy they need another guard i believe uh and then on top of that and by the way there's some great players that could potentially enter the portal which we'll get to if they do i don't speculate on who could and could not but there are some really good players that may enter the portal um but beyond that i would also say great pickup for tennessee assuming he's eligible really good player we'll wrap on a couple more schools one arkansas first big commitment of the offseason Audis tony a power wing from pitt uh, chose Arkansas over a host of Power Five schools, Power Six schools. But Audis Tony averaged 50, almost 15 points a game at Pitt this year. Uh, decided to transfer. I don't know what is going on with Jeff Capel, but all their good players have left that program. But a really talented player. And I think he fits the style of play that they are going to play at Arkansas. He is a power wing. I will say he's not a great three-point shooter. But I think when you put him in the backcourt with Devo Davis, I think it's going to lead to some really exciting plays, an exciting play from Arkansas. So I love the pickup from Audis Tony. And then, fi- and by the way, it won't be Arkansas' last commitment. If you know Eric Musselman, uh, that guy rocks and rolls in the transfer portal. They are going to uh, have a lot of turnover and bring in a lot of talent this offseason. And then finally, shout-out to Maryland. I don't know when Maryland you know, became the transfer guru capital of the world, but you know they got two of what I believe the top 15 p- players in the portal. Kudis Wahab, a center from Georgetown. Now, I'll be blunt. I don't really understand why Kudis Wahab left Georgetown. He was the focal point of that offense. They made the NCAA tournament, but he's gone. He's at Maryland. And Fats Russell, the point guard from Rhode Island, a player that I really, really, really like, he is headed to Maryland. And I'll tell you this, again, I'm doing the preseason top 25 right now. Maryland is a team that looks like they are going to be really, really good last year when you add in the transfers along with their returning players. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Air Torres Sports Podcast. What a show. What a day. We started with UCLA Gonzaga. We ended with Cutis Wahab. Shout out to Torres. Name anybody else that's going that deep into college hoops, but it's that time of year. Really fun. Uh, and all I'll say really quick is that, uh, you know, I, I, I hope you enjoy the show. I hope everything's good. Uh, and I hope you enjoy Monday night's championship game because we have been waiting all year for a potential Baylor-Gonzaga game. We have finally gotten it, and I cannot wait. I cannot wait uh, to see Baylor and Gonzaga. Before we get out of here, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres podcast, iTunes, the podcast addict app. Podbean, spotify tune in radio wherever you listen to podcasts make sure that you are subscribed also make sure to rate and review the show go ahead give us a quick five stars let us know what you like what you don't like all that good stuff make sure you are following on social media at aaron underscore torres on twitter at aaron torres pod on instagram aaron torres podcast questions at gmail.com Aaron Torres podcast questions at Gmail.com. Also, thank you to our sponsors, Manscaped. You go, you know the deal, guys. You know the deal, ladies. Manscaped.com, promo code Torres, 20% off your purchase. And of course, PixWise, PixWise.com, a great sponsor as well. That is all for the show. Shout out to Dor Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I'll be back Tuesday morning, maybe even Monday night, following Gonzaga Baylor with a recap national championship game. Hope everybody has a great Monday.